0: Hey y'all, this is James Key with East Nashgrass, and you're listening to the Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass.
1: So, my guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is James Key. Uh, James is the singer and guitar player for a band called East Nash Grass, and we are here to chat about their fantastic new record, which has been out for a couple of weeks now. James, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate that. Happy to be here today. It's such a cool record, and um, I think what I like about it is particularly the idea that you sort of came together as a band through having a regular gig, really. Like most bands start off as a band and then go and find some gigs, and you sort of found a gig and turned into a band, and I think that's a really cool way of doing it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's basically exactly what happened. There's no shortage of work in Nashville, um, but uh, we kind of found what we thought was a pretty good situation, and we kind of settled into it.
1: And it's like there's something about that idea of having a residency in the same venue that um, is a really cool thing, just in terms of getting your getting your stuff together, because you you have a regular gig at Dee's Lounge in East Nashville, which has been going for a few years now. And there's something, I mean, I I grew up listening to the Beatles and that whole mythology about them having a gig in Hamburg when they just played every night and also reading about JD Crow playing, you know, the holiday inn. And there's just something about just a regular gig that, that really sort of gets your act together. Isn't it?
0: We were kind of reminded of that when we first started and, uh, several Friends of mine started showing up and they, they would tell me, uh, you know, we, we've been playing Monday nights. And some of my friends would say, Oh, you guys need a Friday or a Saturday gig or something like that. And I realized pretty quick that I didn't think we did need that um, because Monday ended up being a unique night. Anywhere else in the country, you'd almost never be able to do a Monday night gig and have any kind of attendance. But living in a place like Nashville, where So many of the residents there are in the music business. They're out on the weekends. They're not there. Nashville turns into a completely different town on Friday and Saturdays. And uh, when I first moved there, I would go out on Fridays and Saturdays, and I realized I wasn't making any real good connections on those nights, you know, because the musicians and people in the music business that I wanted to get to know were out and about working. So when Monday rolls around, there's not, you know, most people are getting back in from whatever they've done over the weekend and they'd like to get out and have a drink and socialize and so forth. And so I, I realized pretty quick within just the first couple of months that there was going to be a lot of great opportunities there to meet some of the, you know, some of the fine working musicians in Nashville, which was really, you know, as, as a bluegrasser that's who we really wanted to meet
1: anyway, you know? Yeah. So how did that gig come about in the first place? How did you sort of start working there?
0: Um, so I guess, Corey got the gig for Harry. Harry had had two stints in Nashville. He's from Arkansas. And this was his second stint. And he, me and him moved to Nashville about the same time. And um, so, Corey was just trying to find some work for Harry. Corey wasn't even really in the band at that point for another, about a year and a half later when he joined. Um, so, I think he was through another mutual connection. Dee's was a new bar. And Monday's a hard night to fill, even in Nashville. And so, they were willing to take a chance on uh, on some folks that had nothing going on and no real prospects or had real, real clue what they were doing. They took a little bit of a risk on us, but we liked the vibe of the place and liked the staff and everybody that worked there. And um, we just saw it as you know an immediate opportunity to, to to be able to play somewhere that wasn't downtown as well. Uh, I, I've had little desire. When I first moved to Nashville, I thought I would work on Broadway like so many people do. And I I did a little bit of that and uh, realized pretty quick it wasn't really my scene and wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, And so to be able to have a place where you can be outside of downtown, find a parking spot real close to the door and all that kind of stuff was a little bit appealing about D's. And so we just kind of grew together with it only have been open I think they're about to celebrate their seventh anniversary so they've been open less than a year when we started because we've been playing over there. Monday we're celebrating our six-year anniversary.
1: Why? Right. that's cool so like at what point did it feel like it was starting to turn into a band then? It's probably a couple years
0: um, from the beginning which was fall of 2017. We're we have an anniversary Monday, but the the official start date's a little arbitrary. We're not really sure. I <laughs> don't remember when it first one was. Um, but yeah, it was very much a pickup band for the first couple years, and then started to get serious when we had uh, the majority of the lineup that we have now. Especially when Corey came in into the picture. So that would have been 2019 when Corey started playing with us. Um so that was that was two years in and that's when we noticed that we we just had something musically that um that was that was noteworthy for us
1: and it's it's a really cool kind of collection of people who I think a lot of people would be familiar with some of the members of the band from other places outside of this um like you you guys first came on my radar I interviewed Bronwyn Keith Hines maybe a couple of years ago now
0: Oh, cool. And obviously,
1: you you sang on her record, and Harry played on I the did. record, and um, she was just like telling me about 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 you being one of her sort of, favorite singers, favorite people to play with in Nashville, and then like just your names kept cropping up again. I interviewed Dan Tominski, and he you know has mm-hmm. several members of your band in his band, and he was raving about about how good you guys are, and um, mm-hmm. you know, and just sort of them piecing it all together. So See, I'd seen Corey play with David Greer in those sort of lockdown. Tune sessions that everybody was sitting at home watching on their sofa. Um, Yeah. uh, And I actually saw Jeff play with Nickel Creek here earlier in the year. Um, Nice. And so it's all these people you start. That's one of the things I love about this sort of acoustic scene is you start seeing names just following you around. Everybody's playing everybody else's records. And it's like, it's such a, it's such a cool scene. It's to overlap so much.
0: There is. um, There is. I think that's one of the things that, that drew me to Nashville, at a pretty early age, um, just because I grew up before the days of streaming being popular, and so I listened to most of my music on just a few CDs and tapes and things that I had, and I saw a lot of the same names as I would read the liner notes of all of these projects, and and I remember I would see so I would I would see some of these names pop up all the time, and uh, so when I moved to Nashville, I wanted to get to know some of those guys, and I was surprised at how accessible um, they are, you know because many of the guys that are the most recorded in the world even are not famous. Uh, they're famous amongst us, you know, amongst musicians, amongst our group. But, uh, that, that, that's an interesting observation. I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that the folks are, are, you know, paying attention because there is, uh, there's a great community of, 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 really wonderful folks and, and musicians here and, that was to me probably the the most encouraging part of Nashville is just how inclusive I found everybody to be if you're really in love with the music, if that's your primary motivator for being here, then this is a great
1: place for that and when did you when did you come to Nashville?
0: So, uh, about seven years ago I'm from East Tennessee I'm from Chattanooga so not a very far drive about 150 miles. Um, and my mom's side of the family, it was from right here in Nashville and has very deep roots and been here for a couple hundred years, in fact. So um, it, with with majority of my family living here already, um, I, I had always kind of wanted to, to, to live in Nashville. And I didn't know when, at what point in my life that would happen. And um, I started thinking about it in 2016 and decided to, to make the move at the end of that year. So right about se- almost seven years ago.
1: And has music been like part of your life from the start?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I started singing as soon as I could walk, I guess, and sang in church choirs and school choirs and the Chattanooga Boys Choir and uh, got into bluegrass when I was about 10. My granddad, who was from here in Nashville, played banjo and and played guitar. And he got me into bluegrass and and, uh, I just really was enamored with it. And I've listened to a lot of country music too and um I really like anything that's got good singing. That's always been my—that's always been what motivates me the most, uh, more so than playing even. And I think that's because I, I sang first, um, so it—it it was a lot easier move for me than others, you know. Because I would imagine it'd be more daunting if I didn't have family and, and friends. And I already knew how to navigate the town because I've been living here for so many—you know—living in East Tennessee for so many years. So it was—it was an easy step for me. And once I moved here, it was. Um, it was quite obvious that I had made the right decision. It's
1: interesting talking about the singing because I think um, like so much bluegrass is obviously like really impressive instrumentally, and you, that's sometimes what you notice first. But some of my favourite like albums, the singing is the thing that just floors you. Like whether it's Skags Rice or some of the bluegrass album band stuff, or some of the Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver stuff, or like people now like Sarah Jarose, whoever you know, if you've got a great vocal. On top of it, that's, you know, it's not great music without a great vocal.
0: Well, I always liked it because uh, you're born with what you got and you got to figure out how to make that work. And There's nothing else you can really do about that.
1: Yeah, it's the, sort of the most direct form of musical communication, isn't it? Because you are the instrument. There's no sort of, like, you can't get obsessed with the gear. You can't go down a rabbit hole of finding the right guitar or changing your strings or buying a different pick every week. You've just got to get on with it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And yeah, you, of course you can, you can take lessons and you can learn different ways to sing different styles and all that. But in general, you're, you're left with the instrument that you've got. And uh, so part of me always, uh, always found that interesting because everybody can sing. It's just a matter of, you know, learning how to use your own voice. Um, but it was just what drew me in at an early age and, and still does um, still is what motivates me the most. And he, any genre of music I listen to, it, it's going to need to have good singing for me to be interested in it.
1: Yeah, and I, you sort of mentioned the country influence as well as bluegrass, and I definitely hear some of that coming through on this record. There's definitely, like, not just the the singing, but also some of the song choices. It, it's got quite an old-school feel to it. It feels like a record that could have been around for years almost.
0: Well, that makes me feel good to hear. Uh, that's always what I wanted, because as i've gotten older i think those are some of the most important things that you will leave behind life is short and the you know it's your your records can can last longer much longer than you do and so we were we we i don't know that we intentionally set out with you know you're always hoping that what you record is going to be remembered and be looked upon fondly but certainly a, a a goal of ours was so that it would sound timeless you know Meaning that it would age well, and um, hopefully it will. We'll see. To to be determined.
1: Yeah, and it's a great record. I love it. It's, it's also got quite a laid back feel. It's not like sort of sort of hot driving bluegrass. It's got a very relaxed quality to it. It sort of sounds like it doesn't sound forced at any point. It's got a load of energy, but it doesn't sound kind of like anything's being pushed really hard. And maybe that's just because you guys have been playing together so long. I don't know, but it's it just all feels. Like It's in the spot, if that makes sense.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I appreciate that. I think everyone has um, quite a bit of experience in the studio at this point, and we hadn't really worked together as a band as much in the studio, Um, but everybody knows what to do and knows what will work for them and how to be able to do their best work, and... One of the things that we thought was important in making this record is it's really just us in that room. Um, Sean Sullivan engineered it, and you might even say that he co-produced it because he did help when we would ask him to. But in general, there was no one else present in the room. There's no guests on the record. Um, We just wanted to to just be us. And uh, we really just kind of rolled into the studio each day, not even necessarily knowing what we were going to do, knowing what time we needed to be there. And knowing about what time we needed to start and stop but in general we just kind of went with the flow on it and i think that uh that that vibe shows through on the record and it wasn't just the recording too it was the song selection even it was like well we went in knowing we might had five or so tunes that we wanted to record and we did those just to get it out of the way and get comfortable with the space and then we just immediately you know went on to whatever else we 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 felt fit. And that was that was neat. As as the recording process unfolded, we it's almost like we learned more about it, you know, and and about what this record was going to be.
1: That's really cool. And presumably like if you've had a few years of doing a residency somewhere together, you've got a pretty large amount of stuff in your repertoire.
0: Yes. Yes indeed. Um and I think the first record probably is indicative of that. I think there's like 14 songs on the first record, and we, we probably could have kept going. Uh, this one, we I think we cut one. There was one that we eliminated from the record that just wasn't quite uh, just rhythmically. Just didn't seem like it it was on the same page as everything else we were doing. Um, so yeah, we had more that we could have we could have drawn from, um, but these just kind of seemed to fit together. But definitely playing playing that weekly residency really allows you the ability to workshop songs, jokes, bits, whatever. You can really find out what works and what doesn't because sometimes you might hear something and you think, man, that'd be great. And you, you try it out on people. It doesn't work. So, um, there's it, it's kind of a science, you know, but it's also just a little bit of the, the figuring out what will work and what won't. And if you have that weekly audience, you can test that out. And, uh, And that's certainly what we've been doing with with songs. And I think sometimes it just surprised us when we would start doing something that we weren't even trying to do in a noteworthy way and it would resonate with people. Um, So definitely our experience helped us out with that.
1: It's a cool mix of stuff because there's some stuff on there that, um, you know, like Harry's got a tune you wrote on there, there's a tune you wrote on the record. Um, There's an instrumental on there of Maddie's. Um, But there's also some new tracks from like Christian Ward and Jared Walker. Like Jared's turning into a great songwriter. Just some of the stuff he's written for Billy Strings and, you know, some of the songs he's he's contributed to this. There's some really cool stuff coming out.
0: Indeed, man. Um, Jared and Christian both are probably a couple of our favorite new writers on the scene. Um, Christian has long been very talented and uh, I'm excited to see the opportunities that he gets in the coming years because Having those cuts on Billy's record, uh, I, I know, has put a little wind in his sails. So, we were happy to be, to be able to have Christian got three cuts on there, I think, and uh, two of them co-writes, one with Corey and one with Jared. And we were we were happy to get those tunes. Man, they uh, they just happen to fit so good.
1: Yeah, they're great tunes. It's a, it's a it's a great opener. I love a record that has a like a an opening track that's sort of a statement of intent that sort of sets you up for what you're going to get. And there's just such cool energy to that track, Last Chance to Win. Um, and it's uh, one of the interesting things about this, which presumably is a real asset when you're doing a residency, is you've got multiple lead singers. There's like three of you sing on this record. It's not oh, yeah. like one of you doing all the tunes. And presumably, like, if you're playing live, and maybe if one of you's not around a particular week, having a few of you that can cover that is a really useful thing.
0: It is. Um, and it's helpful for touring, too, <laughs> you know, because it's uh, it's tough when you have to sing everything. And I've done that before. And um, I, I I probably sing the most in, in the band, but I certainly love to be able to switch it up. I, I think it for one, it, it, it helps us be a band more than an individual or solo act. And there's just not as many bands uh, maybe as there used to be. I don't know. But. To me, it certainly seems like in mainstream music, there's a lot less bands. And I think from a management and business side of things, I can understand why, because it's a hell of a lot more work to put together a, an ensemble that's, you know, a democracy like what we have, where we don't have one person who's necessarily calling the shots. Um, so things might take a little bit longer, but I love that dynamic because if somebody shows up to, to see us and they don't particularly like me, they can just hang tight for a minute, you know? Or if they don't like, you know, somebody else in the van, they can just—it's just a carousel that's always moving, and at, from an entertainment standpoint, that seems to help us a lot because I, I hear feedback all the way around from all the singers in the band that, that people that and different people like different things, and it just it allows us a lot more depth, I feel like, and a, a lot more ability to to cover more ground and hopefully appeal to more people.
1: Yeah. And it's something that you don't, you don't always get that often. And whether you like, it's again, you go back to the Beatles and you've got everybody sing something or Nickel Creek, they all mm-hmm. sang their own songs. And like, I think there's something really interesting about that because you've got such a wide palette to play with there and, and hearing different voices is great. Do you, is, does one of you naturally sort of take the front person role on stage or is that another thing that you sort of share?
0: That's, that's typically me. Um, and that's mostly through habit. I do share my time on, on the mic um, but I was kind of the constant all these years um, at D's. I've probably had um, less, particularly since the you know COVID years. I've not done any any music hardly at all outside of um, outside of East Nash Grass. Whereas the rest, ban- the rest of the band is always working with with different artists and working with some of the best in the business. I did for a little while, but I've had a few other a few other things that have you know that have kind of taken my time here in Nashville. I, I managed some land here and, um, that's exactly where I am right now. In fact, I'm outside a lot. And so, um, I've, after the, after the pandemic hit, you know, I just decided that, uh, I would just focus all my musical energy on East Nashville. So that, that also allowed me to be there each and every Monday when they couldn't. And so I assumed that role of being front man and, I probably had the most experience doing that as well as anybody in the group with all of them being side men for their whole career. I, I did have some, some, some MC experience and that's kind of how I, you know, came into that role. But I do make sure that everybody gets their time to be, to be able to speak and to to relate to the audience. And same with bringing new music. It's, we, we're always doing stuff as a unit. We're always going to bring songs that everybody likes and, and, uh, and, and if, if we have something that we feel like it's not getting fun or people aren't liking it in the band, then we'll take that out. So we're, we're always trying to make sure that it's not a one man show.
1: And has it been easy to sort of keep it going for all these years? So we say six years next week and, you know, with everybody going off on tour with different people, particularly recently with half the band going off with Dan Taminsky, that's kind of, that's a few people gone in one go. Is it, is it sort of easy to keep it together or has it been a struggle at times?
0: Um, yes and no. If I find something I like, um, I will do it forever. I'll, I'll just, you know, I can <laughs> eat the same breakfast every day. Um, and you know, me, me moving up here was the only time I'd ever moved. You know, I'd, I'd lived in the same place and been around the same folks for my entire life for 28 years prior to moving here. So I liked that part of the Monday night residency, you know, cause I enjoyed it. It became part of my routine So that part was easy for me to keep showing up as far as keeping the group together. Um, sometimes it's been tough. Uh, the musically it's never been tough, but it has definitely, uh, tested my patience at times because it seemed like every time prior to the, the present seems like every time we get a little traction or we get something going, somebody famous would come along and offer things that we can't, you know, um, and over the last, really the last year and a half or so, that started to change some, um, whereas everybody doesn't feel that they have to take an opportunity that comes along to them just because it's good. Uh, we've got the same manager that, that Dan Taminski has. We're, we're booked by the same agency. So there's some synergy there as well. Um, and I also want to be able to keep this element of East Nash Grass members being able to play with other people in Nashville. I think we roundabout way kind of patterned our, our, our business after the Nashville bluegrass band, who, when I was a kid, were part of everything and always doing cool stuff and not, not just, you know, in Nashville, but all over, then they were part of everybody's records. And that just, it, that, to me it made them seem so interesting that they were all doing all these different things all the time. And so we don't ever want to move away from that. Um, I still want to be able to have everybody in this band, be able to take session work and maybe occasional other road gigs and things like that. But everybody's definitely made a marked shift in in the last year and some change to give more of their time to the band. And that's been encouraging. And I would be remiss if I didn't credit Corey for being a, a, a great visionary for for all of us, when any of us, including myself, have gotten impatient or discouraged, Corey's done a great job at seeing the big picture. Um, which for us that means you know that this could last for for many years. It's a band, it's a partnership, so it will end one way or another. We know that's the case. Hopefully, it'll end amicably. It could end with all of us, you know, no longer being here anymore. You just never know. But being that it's a partnership, it is a finite thing that we're doing together and we want to make last as long as we can. And I think that's where the records come in is we just want to be able to make great music that, that people can enjoy for, for, for years to come.
1: Yeah. It's that it's really interesting. Like going back to talking about seeing people's names crop up in different places and just seeing, you know, and the thing it's true, that thing you were saying about that there seem to be fewer bands around at the moment. And like just seeing within the space for a few months that like this record coming out and then seeing the mighty popular thing as well, which has got a similarly sort of slightly old school bluegrass vibe about it as well. And it's, they're really cool things to see. Cause I love records like that, you know? Um, and they're, they're, they're quite different as, as a sound, but just it's, again, it's a band full of people that I'm going to hear play with somebody else in three months time. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's great to hear like that those things are an ongoing thing, a bit like, you know, Bluegrass album band, they all had other stuff to do, but it ran for a long time. And that's just some of the best music that was made at that time.
0: No doubt, man. And it's very timeless.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, And I know at one point you and Harry swapped instruments because Harry was playing guitar and you were playing mandolin, weren't you? Yes, I played mandolin my whole career. And was that switch to do with sort of practicalities or did it just sort of happen and felt good? Both.
0: Um... We played a show that a friend of ours got for us out in Idaho, in fact, Um, and I don't remember why, but um, he had had switched us up where I was playing guitar and Harry was playing mandolin, and Harry's a great guitarist, Um, and I certainly loved his guitar playing, and I'd been a mandolin player most of my career. Um, Honestly, I'd never played guitar professionally in a band, maybe other than a song or two here and there, Uh, but it was my first instrument. Um, but once we did it, man, it just worked musically. I found, I found it easier to lead the band, particularly on weeks that maybe we've got a sub or something like that. It's a hell of a lot easier for me to show somebody how something goes by playing guitar. It's easier for me to set the pace and set the rhythm as well, playing guitar. And then I kind of understood why maybe all these country singers play guitar. You know, it just seemed to seem to make a little bit more sense. But also I think you've got to work with the tools in your toolbox and, Man, Harry's a great mandolin player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I, 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 I think I'm a fine mandolin player. But what Harry added to the show was way more than I could, and it fit his persona, and it just allowed us to be more flexible in a lot of ways that I hadn't really considered. So once we tried it, I just knew I had to get used to it. Um, and you know, and part of that, in part of my you know, insistence on playing mandolin all these years may have just been due to my own laziness because man it's a lot more work to play guitar the damn thing weighs a lot i got i got to fly with it i got to carry this huge heavy case around everywhere i got to pump out rhythm the whole time that however fast these guys play it was a lot easier to play mandolin so you know it, i had to work a little bit harder for sure but that's nothing i've ever been afraid of and so once we made the switch it it um, it just it just made a lot more sense and i know harry really loves to play mandolin and people love to see him play mandolin myself included he's probably my favorite mandolin player other than jared walker who they're out, i think they're right neck and neck
1: they've both got um a sort of slightly old school sort of angle to the way they play as well lots of tremolo lots of double stops kind of they the, you know and jared particularly's got that he, he sort of embraces the slightly less Quite to word this, but like you get some super clean picking now on mandolin. You get some players who are super clean, super defined, super precise. Both Harry and Jared have got a lovely sort of like still old older sound. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, man, they do, and I think that's part of what they've listened to. You know, they've they've listened to a lot of the old music and the old mandolin players, and trying to take trying to take from them, and and you know use that influence for something that's new and different. So it's like, I think some of the things that turned me off as a mandolin player from Bill Monroe was that it's like kind of abrasive sometimes, you know, Bill singing his mandolin playing both could be a little abrasive. Might be a little sharp, might be a little out of tune. I don't know, but it still was really great and really powerful. And as I developed as a musician, I listened to that more and understood that a lot better when I was older. When I was a kid, I was dismissive of it because I didn't have I, I just didn't have the full breadth of, of knowledge that I have now. And I think that's kind of what they've done with like Frank Wakefield and Bill and try to take some of that power and some of that feeling, but make it cleaner and, you know, as as in tune as we can get. <laughs> and they they both do a, a really great job of that. And I, I just, I, in my opinion, i I think that's that's where where a lot of their influence is, is coming from.
1: Yeah, and I haven't got to see Harry play live. Um, being over in the UK, I haven't had a chance yet, but I love I love what I've heard of his playing on record. It's just, and when I talked to Dan Tominski, he was sort of raving about him and saying that he couldn't believe that like every time he played something, he played something completely different. Always, like you said, you, I could sit listen to him all night because he's never going to play the same thing twice.
0: Yeah. He's he's blossomed a lot in just the last few years. Like it's he's really come into his own and, and and I think I think people can see that when they when they see him live or hear him in the studio.
1: Yeah, I first heard him on that um that Bronwyn Keith Hines record and just, you know, he stood out immediately. Um, and Dan was also raving about Gavin on Dobro, just you know, how astonishing he is. And when you think that Dan is a guy who stood next to Jerry Douglas for most of his adult life. Yeah, he knows what good Deborah playing sounds like
0: yeah you you know some things in life you just can't fake and that's one thing I always loved about the music biz is that you know it's a real put up or shut up kind of discipline and um, Gavin when you hear him it's just he's just undeniably talented and he has he has a deep musical understanding that just really comes through and he's kind of a once in, in a generation talent I mean he, he really is and so to be able to play with him is a huge privilege.
1: And you've had, you know, like Harry won um, an IBM, IBM A Momentum Award. Was it last year? Maddie won one the year before. I think Gavin's up for one this year. So you know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, a lot of uh, a lot of musical talent in the band.
0: Yeah, and Corey won that award some years ago as well.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and so, is the are you? getting a chance to tour this record quite a bit as well as sort of continuing the residency
0: we have recently yes we did a little run up in the northeast which was our first time up there and i think we were, we were very well received and we definitely are making plans to go back next year and we went to maine for labor day a couple weeks ago we're going to arizona tomorrow colorado next week uh, we'll be in ibma in raleigh at the end of this month and arkansas that weekend at the last weekend of the month so we've got to tour a whole lot. It slows down a little bit as we come into uh, as we're, as we're coming into fall, and uh, I think we're going to ramp it up next year and 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 probably tour even more. We're we're coming to Europe for the first time. We're going to be in Switzerland in February. Oh, Brilliant! We're pretty excited about that. Um, and we're we're hoping that yeah, we're we're hoping to to get over to, over there, you know, at least once next year to Europe. But that one's for sure in
1: February. Oh, it'll be cool to see you over here in the UK if you make it. That'd be amazing.
0: We'd love to, man. I've always wanted to go. I've been to Ireland several times, and so we'd, we'd like to get the band over there too, but uh, we would definitely like to get to the UK as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be over at IVMA, um in a couple of weeks, but I think i leave just before you guys play.
0: Well, we have some showcases with Mountain Fever uh, Wednesday and Thursday nights there.
1: Oh, no, Wednesday. I'll have to come to that.
0: Okay, yeah, we're there. It's late. I think it's like 10 or 11 o'clock.
1: But, yeah, we'll we'll be there. Cool. Oh, I'll come to Wednesday. Brilliant. Great. Um, And like I was going to, you know, I was going to ask sort of what's next, but it sounds like, it sounds like this is next. It sounds like this is kind of, this is the deal now. And you you, know, going to tour this record, start thinking about another one, keep playing week in, week out.
0: That's exactly right. We've got a party Monday through our six year anniversary. That's the most immediate thing after uh,
1: this weekend,
0: like I said, where we're going to Arizona. Um but yeah, I'm already, I'm so forward thinking, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm already thinking about the next record and I'm thinking like, well, what songs do we want to put on that? Or what should I be writing about? Or what should I be trying to be in tune with? And I, I, it's maybe a little, a little early for that, but, um, I'd think within six months we're, we're wanting to be working on this next record.
1: I mean, it's funny with the the whole way records are made by the time you end up talking to somebody like me about a record, it's probably been made for like months and your heads naturally thinking what's coming next.
0: Well, that guy from Spotify seems to stick his foot in his mouth a lot, but he said a comment that, that, that got a lot of attention a year or two ago about artists needing to make more content, and uh, he's not wrong. It's not Spotify's fault that the streaming world is what it is, um, but people consume more content than they used to. I mean, it used to be such that a, a band could go get photos made like once a year and get some eight by tens printed up and we all know that's not the case we have a photo shoot every other damn month it seems like <laughs> but you, you have to have more content and that includes the music and so especially when you're at at our stage we're just now kind of getting some momentum and just getting some name recognition and for us to be able to keep that up we we gotta we gotta keep pushing the content and it's fun man we're we're thrilled that people have been real receptive to this and and, and seemed to be enjoying it. that was the goal of the record, you know and um I, we we had this discussion internally with the band. like someone was asking me not too long ago if I'd ever dreamed of having a number one record and I, s- I said, no, what what kind of a kid sits around and dreams of charts? Like I dream of music that reaches people and that people love and that resonates with them and will I be unhappy if it goes to number one? Of course not. that would be great but it's not a metric by which I've like planned my life for many years. Um, so to me, it's, it's a huge privilege for us to be able to make music that, that people can connect with. And if, if we've done that on the first two records, then we damn sure want to continue that onto the next one.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, just, really feels like there's some momentum building around this it's you know i keep seeing you you guys crop up and the people talk about you and there seems to be a really positive reaction to the record so i hope it is hugely successful for you and uh really looking forward to hearing another one at some point
0: well we are too man we're we're excited about it and uh, i really
1: appreciate all the kind words here today well, thanks for taking the time to do this. It's been it's been a real joy chatting to you.
0: Well, likewise, Matt. I really appreciate you being a little bit flexible with my uh, my luddite tendencies over here to get my technology working.
1: <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Thank you.